0: Hey there, did you know that we have a Patreon page? If you go to patreon.com slash Casey Hobbs, you can support our show for as little as $3 per month. Thank you so much for being a part of this. As public theologians, both Duran and I believe that everything about us says something about God and something about the world. The late theologian James Cone phrased it like this, theology is political language. We're here to figure out what that means here and now. You're listening to episode 18 of Public Theologians. I am Casey Hobbs, and with me, as always, is Duran Hill. Duran, how are you doing this fine day?
1: We're getting um, closer to the winter holiday break, so I am doing
0: great. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Um, and then uh, Public Theologians is actually going to take a, a holiday break this time, this year. And um, we're going to have an episode next week. Um, and then we'll have two weeks off uh, so that we're um, being able to be present with our families and not trying to record things along the way. But we'll be back in the new year. I've actually got some really exciting guests that we've got uh, talking about um, more kind of prison abolition stuff and um, and and something that we've talked about Duran in the past um, with just kind of what is the alternative to um, policing if we are going to talk about like abolishing the police. Um, so we'll have some some folks that have done some work in that in those arenas. Um, so January should be a lot of fun and Casey?
1: Uh, Um, I just want to put a reminder here that Jesus never takes a break. So I don't know if we're straying from his example, Um,
0: but anywho. Yeah. Well, in that case, I don't know. First of all, maybe we'll have a, maybe we'll have a discussion. If anyone is confused, maybe they can go back to our Thanksgiving episode with Phil Nellis Uh, gives a a bit more uh, robust theological um, grounding for taking rest um so if anyone's confused on what Duran said just uh including Duran you can head back back to that episode a few few times ago um one thing to Duran I wanted to plug at the beginning is if anyone's looking for like you know a a good Christmas present for either one of us they can go on Apple uh podcasts and they can rate and review this podcast um especially if it's going to be like four stars and above I guess if I'm not going to put that out if it's like three stars or under, but if you're like, that's pretty good. Um, Four stars or above, um, leave a review. And actually, Duran, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, official, uh, as of last night, we have an an email account. So it's publictheologianspodcast at gmail.com. And that'll be in the show notes. So if you want to drop us a line, if you um, had some things that you wanted us to talk about um, that we're not Uh, currently covering. um, Drop us a line in that or if you just wanted to um, tell us what an excellent job uh, we're doing and you know if you wanted to give like a three star or below uh, critique over gmail I suppose you could do that and we'll just kind of file that in junk mail. So that's housekeeping for today. So (laughs) Duran I see you shaking your head over over the uh Video. Do you want to express your? Um, you have some pushback to, to anything I said there.
1: No, uh, I think uh, as long as you address the uh, your complaints to Casey, uh, I think I'm I'm fine with it. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll go with it, man.
0: We'll filter out any uh, any anything towards Duran, and that so we don't want to. What a classic guy. Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't duran has got such thin skin, so we don't want <laughs> we don't want to poke him okay, so uh speaking of thin skin, this is a good segue um, <laughs> there is there's is an ongoing um kind of broiling debate um in uh, it's kind of centralized in the Southern Baptist world, um, but it's kind of in the larger evangelical um Christian spaces. Um, and it is this ongoing um, frenzy to critique, um, really not to critique, that's a, the wrong word, to condemn, um, to vilify um, what is known as critical race theory. So I'm just going to be honest right off the top, Duran. I am not a critical race theorist, um, nor the son of a critical race theorist. Um, I and somewhat familiar with it. Um, I think uh, it, it, there's some good things that it can offer, um, but uh, <laughs> the, the vitriol of which um, and the, the specificity of which this is condemned, especially in the light of this insane last four years that we've had as a nation um, to kind of focus on um, critical race theory as being the enemy of all Christianity um, and and all kind of Jesus following out there uh, is baffling to me. I'm I'll just be completely honest. Um, so we do have an excellent guest with us today, um, and it's uh, a, an old seminary friend of ours, Duran. Uh, so uh, Trey Medley is is with us, and before I kind of. Introduce Trey a bit more and and let him uh, tell us a bit more about what critical race theory is how he's taught it. And I just want to kind of give a brief summation of it and this is going to be in the notes as well. So this is from um, uh, From Purdue uh, University um, Published this Uh, and I'll just kind of read this and and uh, we have kind of at least a basic understanding of what we are talking about. So it says, quote, critical race theory is a theoretical and interpretive mode that examines the appearance of race and racism across dominant cultural modes of expression. In adopting this approach, critical race theory scholars attempt to address how victims of systemic racism are affected by cultural perceptions of race and how they're able to represent themselves to counter prejudice. Closely connected to such fields as philosophy, history, sociology, and law, critical race theory scholarship traces racism in America through the nation's legacy of slavery, the civil rights movement, and recent events. In doing so, it draws from the work of writers like Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, W.E.D. Du Bois, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., and others studying law, feminism, and post-structuralism. Critical race theory uh, developed into its current form during the mid-1970s with scholars like Derek Bell, Alan Freeman, and Richard Richard Delgado, who responded to what they identified as dangerously slow progress following civil rights in the 1960s. Okay, so it's, it seems um, fairly straightforward. This is kind of identifying um, that, say, uh, my experience as a straight cisgender white male is different um, than say a, a black trans woman. Um, Duran, do you think that that is fair to say uh, just that basic statement um, that my experience of the world is different in America because of um, history? Um,
1: than um, a trans uh, black woman. I don't know. I'm trying to figure where you're going with this, there, Casey. But uh, but but yeah. I mean, you know, we everyone has different experiences that they, they bring to to the table, and uh, and I, I think one. Well, I won't get into all that. But but yeah. I, let me just go ahead and agree with you, Casey, for once. And, uh, uh, oh man, an unqualified I'll, I'll save my qualifications for Trey
0: Okay, so uh, now we'll get into the qualifications part And uh, speaking of, Trey has uh, quite a few qualifications uh, He is the adjunct, an adjunct professor of philosophy, um, of philosophical theology at um, Houston Grad School of Theology um, He's an old friend of ours, and uh, we are excited to have him on the show Trey, thanks for being here
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, I mean, we could just jump right into it.
0: Let's do it. Let's jump right in.
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to say that I'm an expert on critical race theory, but I definitely do use it in the classroom. Um, CRT or critical race theory um, comes out of really law school from the 1970s. That's where it really started. Um, Because it has this sociological bend to it, it hits on a lot of buzzwords that really, I guess, ruffle feathers of certain groups in particular in the SBC. So um, they're very open. First of all, it's an academic movement. You have to understand that first. Um, it has implications because of how sociology works. It has implications for actual practice. Um, you know, Praxis, if going to, you put it in the theology terms. Um, but it comes out of law school and it uses terminology like Marxism, and that in particular ruffles feathers uh, quite a bit. Um, but you have to kind of distinguish Marxism is not the same thing as communism. Um, and that's not necessarily the same thing as Russian or Chinese communism. Um, so those are all kind of like qualifications that you have to put on to critical race theory.
0: Um, and and it, yeah, go ahead. sorry to interrupt you already, but and just to be clear too, this, as speaking of someone that probably thinks more in marxist terms um, this does not specifically address class where marx marxism um would specifically focus on class right yep. i mean it's it's yeah.
2: You know, when they say that it's Marxist, they mean this idea of that history is marked by conflict and the best way to understand our present situation is by looking at the historical conflict and what that has to say to us now. So how we got to where we are, the problems that we have now are a result of this historical conflict that has happened. Um, and so they, they do highlight that, that I mean, the, I would say it's class adjacent, but it's less to do with class and more to do with actually examining uh, what race is, um, why there are still problems with racism. So it started in the 1970s, partly because uh, in the 1960s, you have a lot of things happen with the past civil rights movement, with the various marches. Um, All of that kind of happens in the 1960s, and then not much happens in the 1970s comparatively. Um, And so what critical race theory started as was a way to kind of say, okay, well, why is that? Um, And is there something that we can do about it now? Um, Since then, it's kind of, you know, gone into several different fields, but that's because it has certain conclusions that it draws that are relevant to a lot of different fields. Um, In the SBC, it gets, and, and a lot of the conversations, it gets kind of grouped together with intersectionality um, which is related, but it's not the same thing. Um, and so uh, intersectionality is more the idea of that you are influenced by the combination of your experiences. So uh, an example would be like, if you are a woman, there are societal pressures and oppressions historically on you that do exist to a certain, I mean, we know it's documented. Women make less per you know hour work than men who's similarly qualified. And, um, so if you're a woman, you have that going on. If you are black, you have other issues going on. And so the idea is, well, if you're a black woman, you not only have the issues of being black and the issues of being a woman, you have a whole new set of issues of being a black woman. Uh, that's the intersectionality part of it, that you, when you bring these different things together, you're gonna have multiple issues going on with it. Um, that gets grouped together with critical race theory. Um, in large part, because it's seen as this kind of liberal, you know, communist Marxist agenda that's going on. Um, in actual fact, I would say it's probably not as radical as most people think it is, but a lot of the condemnations that have happened are by people who don't even define their terms. And right. so I have, I have a heavy philosophy background that really bothers me when people don't define <laughs> their terms. Um,
0: this, this entire, and I think that's, Part of what just drives me completely insane about this um, uh, is, yeah, is just the kind of flippancy of which um, these entire schools of thought are condemned by people that have not engaged them seriously in any way and don't understand even what is happening. So bad.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of, um, there's a lot of buzzwords that get thrown around. Um, In the SBC, like it, so it started a while ago, some of this. Um, in 2019, they passed a resolution that really just kind of kicked the can down the road. Um, if you look at the 2019 resolution, um, I think uh, Tony Evans is the one who, who authored that, I uh, believe, uh, or, or said something about it rather later on. Um, sorry, that's not Tony Evans, it's somebody else. Anyway, he later has some, he's going to come to play. Yeah. But uh, the sure. 2019 um, resolution just kind of kicks the can down the road and says like, look, this is an issue that we're dealing with and we're going to Discuss and debate it later. Well, that was in 2019. Um, that was pre-pandemic times. Uh, the you know, essentially, they never got the chance to do to debate and discuss it. And so the current brouhaha um, started really with. Uh, if I'm going to trace it to a, a single person, I would probably say um, Owen Strawn or Strand. Um, it looks like Strakan, but it's I, I guess it's a like a Gaelic pronunciation, but he is a professor at a Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, and he kind of went on this crusade a few months back where he started talking about the gospel of wokeness. And a lot of this was in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and he, for whatever reason, decided, all right, critical race theory is the thing I'm going to go after. Um and so that's kind of where it all all started but that's that's before we get too far into it let's define some of the terms of what yes please critical race theory is trying to do so critical race theory says okay part of the reason why um there hasn't been as much progress um in civil rights is because and this is the big kind of sticking point is that a lot of the racism that has happened in american society has been institutionalized and so they, they do say like you can have institutional racism. And this is the idea that um, someone can be participating in the institution of racism without them personally being an active racist. It's more of a passive racism. Uh, and this gives that the distinction between um, active and passive racism and the difference between not being racist and being anti-racist. Uh, and those are all different things that you have to kind of bring to bear on this. So critical race theory, um, does note that they believe that uh, race in and of itself is a social construct, um, which is true. Like, you, there's no genetic component. This is not saying that skin color is a social construct, but the idea of race that you have um, differences between people uh, based upon like genetics that are not just about skin color. Um, because you can have people of European descent that would be considered Caucasian, but have darker skin tone. Um, and, and different things like that. So they want to say that, that race as an idea is a social construct. Um, and it's been used, and this is where it gets a little bit more Marxist, it's been used by the more wealthy and elite class as an excuse to oppress certain groups of people. Um, and it reaching back to what's you know, called America's original sin of slavery, um, that that has impacts going on into today. And the reason that after the 1960s, you didn't have as much progress is because a lot of that racism became institutionalized and accepted. And so you could say the right things and claim that you're not racist and claim that you're working against racism, but because the system is racist, there is um, like, basically it puts up another barrier to progress being made on that point. And so an example would be like with um, policing, uh, and the re- whole Black Lives Matter movement, why that started um, and caught on so quickly is this idea of, for them, like Black Lives Matter protesters are not saying that every single cop is a racist. That is not what they're saying. Um, what they are saying is that the system of policing as it exists in the US has a racist result. And they can quantify this. And usually critical race theory is very heavy into giving like quantifiable data. And so you can see that, you know, a, that uh, despite, you know, the, the population differences that black people are a minority population, they still make up the majority of the prison population. And even though from other surveys, we can pretty well surmise that they don't commit crime at like black, black Americans do not commit crime at that high of a rate compared to white Americans. Uh, that there is just an increased police presence, and so there's more arrests, and there's like this history that goes along with all these arrests and and, and related to all of that. So it it says, okay, well, there's something about policing that is racism is baked into the system. Well, that means that you have to change policing, if that's the case. And so-
0: Material change, and this is kind of where it probably gets kind of confused you know, and and on that sense with Marxism is because the call is for material change and not just, you know, uh, listening sessions or getting um, task forces together. It's for saying, it's time to change.
2: Yeah, something has to change about the structure itself. Um, So that means that something in it has to be broken down and rebuilt or turned into something new. And if you're a conservative, You don't want that to happen because conservative ideology is we want to have as we want to maintain the stability of the overall nation. And the way that we're going to maintain that stability is we're going to support all of these institutions that we have. So then if you have someone coming in like, well, it's not working for this group, so therefore we need to tear it down. Like there's something about it that is wrong. So it's not that we just need to add more initiatives to fix it. We need to actually fundamentally change it. And that's where it's going to run up against political conservatism, which then gets blended into a large, uh, the vast majority of SBC theology kind of is fully overlapping with political conservatism.
1: Let, let me ask you this, Trey. Um, and I think this is a good pivot point. And we, we know about the religious right. We know about the conflation of the, the cross and the flag and and, and and all of that that good stuff, um, but shifting from sociology to to theology, uh, do you see any um, parts of critical race theory that might be uh, incompatible with the gospel of scripture? Are there any any causes for concern? Because I you know I I do think you know. I, I agree that it it can be a good tool. I, you know, I don't I don't see it. I see it as a tool. I don't see it necessarily good, bad, or otherwise. Uh, but I, I see it as a potential tool. Um, but you know, the the big thing the SBC this was from the seminary presidents, and so the the big thing was, you know, I don't know that they were saying it was heretical or anything like that necessarily, but they're saying it's incompatible with the Baptist faith and message, which is. A whole other thing but you know it shouldn't be taught in seminary so do you see any any cause for concern about teaching this in seminary or how it could be misused
2: you know, I, I was saying yeah you do need to have some caution with it um as with all things um so it's not it doesn't arise out of theology it doesn't arise out of the bible It does arise out of the secular theory um if it's gonna be the end all be all, the only thing that you're gonna look at, well, yeah, that's gonna be a problem. Um, and if you think that you're somehow going to solve racism, which critical race theory wants to say, like you're not going to do, um, like it is a, a constant struggle. But if you think you're gonna solve racism, which some people within think that that's a possibility, then yeah, that's a problem. You're never gonna, it's, it's a, it is, if you're gonna put it in theological terms, you're gonna say it's a sin problem fundamentally. Um, And sin, I think we can get into a whole discussion about like the structural idea of sin. Um, That's not just individual. It is individual, but not just individual. Um, But if you kind of ignore that problem and ignore the fact that you do need the transformative power of Christ for the final end of it, um, then yeah, that could be a problem if you're only looking to that. Um, But I think if you approach it with that, kind of caution and let's, let's talk about Tony Evans just a little bit because he yeah. kind of he got, he got invoked um, into this a, a little bit like he, w- he was kind of referenced by the most recent statement um, and he kind of pushed back against that I think rightly um, what he said was essentially I think what, what I'm saying what I think you're probably driving at Jaron, um this idea that you need a, um, a basis of bible of biblical text um, and then you can use and utilize CRT on top of that or in addition to that or kind of attending with that but it can't be just by itself it's kind of where the foundation is um, now I will
0: can I yeah. can I jump in yeah. on that uh, and uh, neither one of you may agree with, with what I'm about to say and that's fine um, but it kind of goes back to the so we talked about tim keller in one of the early episodes and his um i mean condemnation of critical theory um slash marxism slash whatever was happening with his yeah i
1: think it was biblical justice versus social justice
0: yeah um and his you know his primary um kind of proof text for this is what biblical justice is. He started, he quoted Augustine and like Augustine was not in the Bible. Like, Augustine is a very, a very important figure um, for historical Christianity um, in any stream that you find. Um, I personally am all about Augustine. I'm not criticizing Augustine, but Augustine is not the Bible. Um, so if you're going to say this is biblical the the only thing that's acceptable is biblical um, justice. And then you go on quoting someone that is heavily influenced by Plato um, to the point that it's hard sometimes to determine reading Augustine if, he's, if this is a Christian thought that he has or a Platonic thought or a, um, a Manichaean thought, um, then it, it kind of gives away the game, right? Um, your issue is not with um, people reading the Bible and then taking some other philosophy um, and, and sort of playing with those ideas together. Your, idea, your issue is with the result of um, what is taking place right now. And so I'd rather you just say, I do not believe that Black Lives Matter in the sense that Black Lives Matter movement is saying. I think that's a lot more honest yeah way to to frame that anyways
2: so yeah let that's that's kind of put in that let's lean into that just a little bit um because there's this constant idea of well i just believe the bible that's a really especially in baptist thought that's a real big thing you know no creed but the bible and that's the only thing that we need so kind of leaning into that a little bit more um you can't ever get at just the bible um like you're always going to be viewing it through an interpretive lens that's going to be influenced by your history going to be influenced by, you know, what you've been taught, um, what other preachers have said and that kind of thing. So you can't get at just the Bible alone. Um, and this gets to, I guess, probably another kind of reason why I think probably a lot of Baptists are upset by it. Um, because critical race theory is, um, you know, it is post-structuralist, post-foundationalist, um, foundationalism is this modern idea that you can get to like some kind of grounding belief and then build everything up on it. Um. That's been shown to be pretty well impossible though, that you're always gonna have all these layers of interpretation, most of which you're not even aware of, through which you're seeing it. Um, so you're gonna have, if, you, if you're gonna say just the Bible, Bible alone, okay, according to who though? Whose interpretation of the Bible matters? Um, and that's where you're gonna get into issues. And if, especially if you start drawing a wedge between social justice and biblical justice, um, at least the way that I understand the Bible, um, the kingdom of God has a 100% overlap between those two, that that God's kingdom is is here and now, is also not yet, but it's also here and now. And so that those two kind of, social justice is biblical justice. Biblical justice is social justice. Um, so I think that's a really kind of big point to bring out, is that that's really what they're aiming at. Um, with a lot of these critical race theory conversations, is that they're they're trying to get at what justice is?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you there, Trey, in, in many respects. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I, I I think we, you know, we have a. It's important to 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 kind of comb through these things because there are, you know, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, yeah. you know. Um, but then, you know, you want to make sure you're not compromising your message and, and all these things as well. And, you know, I think one, one of the things that I know that um, sometimes gets me uh, uh, uncomfortable with some of these conversations with a lot of postmodern folks. We talk about every you know, race is a construct, gender is a construct, you know, then religion, you know, is a construct, you know, and, and all of these things. And so it's, it's interesting to you know, to see how you um, sometimes, and, and when you look at like critical race theory and 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 a lot of these things, Marxism, there's so many threads that go in between, and I think people are also um, cautious. And, and yes, I think that's definitely you know concerned about political uh, um, uh, ramifications as well. But you know, if I agree with this, do people automatically assume because I'm J.D. Greer or whoever that I also agree with, you know, these other uh, things that that may not necessarily um, be be biblical or uh, could even be anti-biblical. So I think that is, in some respects, a, a fear. And I, I do think, you know, uh, understand those constructs and, you know, what you mentioned as well earlier, um, sin and evil and how those two things play into um, to this are also important, and um, even even for folks who do realize the the corporate wickedness that you know, it's not just individual um, you know disobedience and that sort of. Thing.
0: I think I I'm hearing what kind of the my I guess my issue is, and and maybe Trey, you can speak to this. Um, I know that uh, when we were kind of talking back and forth about doing this, you had had brought up a. A favorite of the show, and James Cone. So maybe you can um, kind of give us a James Cone answer, because um, you know, even in kind of rethinking um, and and examining the the fact uh, the fact of you know the social construct of of um, race and and uh, gender or whatever uh, social constructs we're going to talk about, um, you know. There is a, a historical Christian um, route to this, um, you know in uh, Cornell West, um, his uh, prophesied deliverance, uh, which was I think his first book um, he talks about talks about that and kind of goes into some of the history of um, of race as being um, really being a construct and, and what that means and who that serves. Um, I think especially for someone who thinks, um, in Marxist terms and, um, you know, seeing like who benefits from, um, from there being a, like a white people, a black people, um, is, is very important and, and seeing why those, um, why those contracts are so difficult to just say? You know what? We're not going to be racist anymore. Martin Luther King has come. We have. We all have a dream. Um, you know, and we can. Uh, we can kind of go on our, our merry way. Um, yeah, it takes so much undoing because there is a power structure that feeds off of um, the oppression of people. Um, yeah. So, anyways. So, yeah. Trey, if you've got some James Cone ideas, or Duran, if you want to respond to that before Trey goes into that.
1: Well, I mean, I, I'm not arguing that, that race is is not a social construct. Uh, and even in some, some ways, I can even acknowledge gender being a social construct. What I'm saying is, when you have this narrative of social constructs, you know, I mean, because, you know, it, religion also can be considered a social construct so you know i I think that those are the presuppositions i think in particular that that concern folks about how this relates to faith uh because if i mean if 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 christianity is is, if it's just a an idea to make sense of the world i mean where where are we and so I, i again maybe too far slippery slope you know but I, I think that's that's where I, I see
0: a lot of concern. And yeah, I think that is where a lot of the concern is. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Trey.
2: Yeah, so I think there there tends to be a, a often a, a confusion when people look at like post foundationalism or something like that, that um, the idea of if we can't know the truth, therefore there's not a truth, it tends to be conflated together, and that is not what most post foundationalists actually say. Um, In fact, I particularly want to look at like this Christian post-foundationalism. They say that there is an objective truth. You can't know that objective truth. That's fine. You don't have to know that objective truth. This is what faith is about. This is where that faith element comes in. Um, And so I think a lot of times when we look at um, what we call like a social construct or something like that, people will say, well, that means it's necessarily bad. Um, No, it just means that you need to kind of hold it loosely. Like sure. be willing to kind of move in and out of it. And it doesn't mean that there's not historical events that occurred that are the foundation behind Christianity. But if, it, if religion is a social construct, then maybe some things about it might need to change. Um, because certainly it's been used for racist tendencies in the past. Um, in fact, it was one of the primary uh, ways that, that racism and slavery were justified was through the use and misuse of Christianity. And uh, you say misuse, but then like if it's if it is the only way that it's been interpreted, well then it's, that's just how it's being used. And we have kind of broken that down and rebuilt it. In fact, that's what, you know, if you want to go way back to Protestantism, that's what it's all about. Like they they broke down the construct of what Christianity was and then they rebuilt it into something else. So that doesn't mean that there's not an objective truth about it. It just means that we might be mistaken about what that is and being willing to accept that we might be mistaken about what that
0: is. But wait, Trey. I thought that uh, Christianity had, and it's in itself a buffer against authoritarianism and against misuse. Isn't that? I thought that's what I learned from um, Tim Keller's essay that we that, and it seemed like a very intelligent point of view. So I don't know.
2: Well, the the history of it though <laughs> says says different, right? What?
0: Uh, yeah. Oh, come on. You in your uh, history and your facts absolutely. and
2: you have to you have to look context. At
0: the history of it. I guess. But... That, well, I guess look, yeah. that undoes the whole argument, so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but if you want to look at something like what Cornel West says about the, the, the roots of it and the, at the roots of Christianity, you do see that. I mean, you, you don't have to look any further than Ephesians, like the whole book of Ephesians. Um, if you are a pastor and you're wanting to preach about critical race theory, but maybe you can't use a lot of the buzzwords. Okay, just preach through the book of Ephesians. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard not to, cause it starts off talking about the dividing wall that separates us and it being broken down in Christ. Um, and it ends uh, with the, the armor of God, but governor the, the preface to the armor of God is our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, the, the rulers, the principalities, the rulers of the air, like that's talking about institutional evil.
0: Sure.
2: Um, there's not really a different way to talk about that than to say, And this kind of gets back to, like, what is sin? Are sin the actions that you commit, or is sin this kind of broader systemic problem that's kind of infected everything about our society and our world? Um, And I think a lot of, particularly Baptists, want to make it very individualized. Like, I did a sin, or I have lots of sins. And that I would say that's sin with a little s. But what Jesus came for was to deal with sin with a big s. The, the whole systemic issue of it that yes, that includes your individual misdeeds, but sin is a much bigger, broader, greater concept that's being completely destroyed. This is what, like, the imagine the prophet of Isaiah, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. This is what he's doing. He's, you know, upending that and bringing in a new kingdom. So, if you want to look at the, the historical roots of Christianity and like the Hebrew Bible, Judaism also, there, there is a lot there that you can draw on if you want to talk about critical race theory, especially if you don't want to use the buzzwords or if you're worried about um, how it might be received and that kind of thing. But if you want to use it as a tool. Yeah,
0: and so, and,
1: you know, sorry, go ahead. Jerry. Okay. Well, you know, I just want to say that I, I appreciate the way you, you frame that, uh, Trey, and I think one of the things that's missing, you know, from this this discourse is the nuance in the framing and being willing to go deep because it, it, is, it is the buzzwords. Like all people care about are the buzzwords, either that you use a buzzword that they don't like or that you fail to use a word that they think, you know, should be used, you know, and so I, I, I appreciate how you're talking about, you know, even how pastorally one could, you know, teach on these concepts uh, in a way that is not immediately polarizing or, you know, I'm coming to preach the gospel of critical race theory this morning. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. But uh, I, I appreciate you, you sharing that, that thought. But that's all I got to say. I know we're getting close. Go ahead. Yes. Please.
0: No, and, and um, I... Had asked you a question and then I interrupted your train of thought, so um, sorry. It'll probably happen again, um, but <laughs> but I am sorry. Um, asking you about uh, about James Cone and and because oh, you yeah. brought up uh, his work in in kind of this context, um, so yeah. I'll, uh, yes. So, how so, I phrased it before, but I'll just that's let you okay. That's
2: now <laughs> let's, let's talk about James Cone because. Um, So James Cone in particular, if you're going to approach it from a theological standpoint, especially if you're looking at black Americans um, or or just black Christianity, um, James Cone is going to be a a critical key for that. And I would say, you know, his most accessible book is um, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. It's very like you don't have to have a seminary background to read it and understand what he's talking about. Um, But I will say that a lot of people, again, get their feathers ruffled because he talks about whiteness. And... They think, well, are you saying that my culture, my history doesn't matter or that it has to be racist? Are you calling me a racist just because I'm white? And that's not what whiteness means. Um, Whiteness is referring to this dominant culture and the the dominant culture historically has been one of oppression of certain groups. Um, And Coe makes it really clear that even when it says blackness, like you don't have to be black to be part of this blackness that... Poverty is part of blackness in the way that he phrases it. He uses the term white and black um, because of like the broader history I think involved, and that this definitely needs to be called out. And this is the context he's writing from, but you have to understand all of the nuance that he uses to it. And that's really, I think was lost in any of these discussions is there's no room for nuance. People don't want to talk about, they don't want to define the terms. They just want to say something, say the right thing and um, it's, and I mean, that's politics at that point. That's not ecclesiology. That's not theology. Um, so we really need to get into the nuance behind all these different ideas and terminology. So when Cone says whiteness, if you are supporting a system that oppresses other people, then you are part of whiteness. But if you are actively working against it, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, you're not part of whiteness. Um, And it's that active role. You have to be actively working against it. If you're not actively working against it and you are benefiting from it, that's white privilege. That's what we, when people talk about white privilege, it's not saying that you're white, therefore you have every privilege. It's saying that if you just did nothing, then you would still have this kind of tacit benefit from the way society is structured um, that other people don't have because of the color of their skin. So that's what white privilege is. Um, and recognizing that I do have white privilege does not mean that I'm privileged in every way. It doesn't mean that I've had an easy life. It just means that for me, there are certain benefits that come to society just because of the color of my skin. And so I need to, like, I personally have to actively work against that. Not because I'm wanting to tear myself down, but because I'm wanting to raise others up. And I think that's the that really fundamentally is the fear when people invoke critical race theory or James Cohn is that they think, well, I'm white or I have friends that are white. So does that mean that they're bad? Or does that mean that I'm working against my own interest? And that is not what it's trying to get at. It's and just they, simply it, trying to acknowledge the history behind it and say, like, we need to do something about this.
0: Yeah, I think I think it goes back to, you know, the kind of jokey point that we were making earlier about, um, you know, with, with Tim Keller and, and whatnot is, you know, if you have... A view of history that does not, a, a view of the current day that does not make sense in the historical context, then please don't come to me saying that you that I need a biblical frame. That's we all we all need to understand history, um, and until we can, until we can at least look for five minutes in the mirror and say, um, you know, we're, we've been talking about the SBC this whole time, the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, started because Southern Baptists in the 1800s did not want to have uh, an integrated in any sense of the word fellowship, Um, not just integrated congregations, but an integrated fellowship with black folks. Um, They were standing for slavery. I mean, this is Basic the question
2: was, history. and it's even like worse than that. The question was whether or not a slaveholder could be a missionary and still keep his slaves. Um, because the the other Baptist groups were willing to give almost so much stuff, but then when it came to like, can they support someone who actively owns slaves and is not willing to give them up? And the SBC was like, no. And that's how they formed. Now they've apologized, but I mean, it's still. The ripple effects of that are still felt today. Um, And again, it's the idea like an apology doesn't fix it. Uh, You have to do something to fix it. And that's because it requires something of you that you might not be doing or you might be a blind spot to. um, That's why people, I think, are going to have this kind of almost vitriol reaction to it. Not almost. They do have a vitriol reaction to it.
0: Yeah. And um, probably kind of like this is This is where I think is is really important to understand, and maybe you can shed some more light on this, Trey, um, in our last few minutes here, is just kind of what what about this kind of um, critical race theory or intersectionality, or even I think we can kind of broaden it to like Marxism, like what is it about all of these things that is so threatening to the existence of um, of kind of this evangelical Christianity that you and I have both <laughs> been a part of for a long time. Um, and, you know, kind of on top of that too, you know, w- without getting so far into questions about sexuality or gender or, or any of that, um, you know, I think it's this kind of the same issue uh, with this reaction, this overreaction towards like, you um, People coming out as, as gay or people coming out as trans, um, there there is this vitriolic um, response to uh, within from within the Christian community um, and within Christian kind of you know to I hate to just throw things out without examples. So a couple of weeks ago on this podcast we talked about Rod Dreher um, and when Rod Dreher is a conservative. Um he's a conservative christian um i don't know pundit i don't really know what you call him but um but one of the if you go to his um twitter account he's got he's got endless amounts of just kind of bashing trans people and you look at that and you say, what is so threatening you know this is again not even to get in the conversation of like um, even right or wrong <laughs> within the church but just why do we have to hate people that are so different from us and, and so that's a huge kind of soaring question that I don't yeah. mean to get you trapped in but what is it about kind of this deconstruction um, narrative and this kind of uh, post-structuralism that we're talking about that is such a threat to yeah, Christians, you know, in that sense. So I think a lot of it has, um, I mean, there are some
2: historical reasons behind that, um, but I think probably the, one of the biggest ones is the identification with the conservative Republican party and evangelical Christians. And I mean the real conservative Republican party. Um, so if Trump says something, then most evangelicals are jumping on board. Um, not all, I'm not going to say all, I'm not going to paint with that broad brush, but ma- the majority, very clearly the majority are jumping on board. Um, and so if Trump says critical race theory is bad, then they they have to, because it is part of their ingrained identity that to be a Christian is to be a Republican. I still know people that, um, you know, when they find out I didn't vote for Donald Trump, they really they question whether I'm a Christian or not. Mm-hmm. Um And this is, you know, this is longstanding, kind of too close of an identification with it. Part of it is also, I think the reason it kind of comes to a head so so greatly now is that people are already stressed out because of all the stuff related to the pandemic uh, and all of that. So they're already stressed out. They already feel like they're doing a lot. And then suddenly they're being told, but this other thing that you didn't even know you were doing wrong, you also have to change that. Um, And they don't know how to handle it. And I think that one response to that is to just kind of lash out like, no, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. Um, and so I think that's that part of what it is. I mean, it's, this gets into a really big question, but I do think that it's never the right response for anyone, but in particular for a Christian to attack an oppressed group, even if you don't agree with, you know, the choices that they're making or, or sure. whatever you want to say about that. Um, that's not acting in love and they are a group that is being, you know, attacked. And I go back to, um, you know, Robert Smith preaching professor that we, uh, you know, that all has had. Um, and he talks about what prophecy is and what the job of the prophet is. And the job of the prophet is to, uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Um, and like that really hits on it. So, I'm, I'm fine going after somebody like Donald Trump or Al Mueller. Mm-hmm. They're comfortable. They're, they're like society's working out for them. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean I hate them, but that doesn't mean I'm going to call them to task. But if someone is being attacked and like society is collectively kind of working against them, um, then I, I have no business going after them. That doesn't mean I have to agree with everything they do or everything they say, but I have no business attacking them at that point. And I don't know at what point that got lost. Um, I'm sure that the echo chamber of various social media networks has a lot to do with that.
0: Yeah, can't um, be helping.
2: Yeah, and it just like our soundbite culture. And again, it goes back to this idea of nuance. We just lost the ability to nuance anything, um, which is sad.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really becomes one, you know, virtual, virtue signaling um, side you're on. Um, yeah, instead of instead of doing the harder work of saying, how do, I, how do I faithfully live out what I understand to be the imperatives of my faith? Um,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, it becomes how do I dump on <laughs> people that already have it hard? Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, at the end, it just comes down to, like, you've got to be humble about what it is that you believe, and you've got to be loving in what you do. Um, love justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I mean, go back to that.
0: I think that's a great place to leave it, Trey. Um, All right. It was so great catching up with you. And and, uh, yeah, thanks for shedding some light on this. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Public Theologians. If you like what you heard, or even if you didn't but you felt like it was worth your time, we would greatly appreciate you sharing it with someone you know. We'd also love to hear from you. And if you feel so inclined, we'd gladly accept your support. Go in peace to love and serve.